Good morning, everybody. This is the Marcus Today Members Podcast on Friday, 2nd of February, and a good day today. That end-of-month rally followed by yesterday's beginning-of-month sell-off appears to be a storm in a teacup after all, up 80 points, down 90 points. Net result, we were really just down 10 points with a bit of a late rush at the end of the month of presumably fund manager window dressing buying, which has all but evaporated the next day. Let's move on. The other major theme, of course, is that big tech took quite a nasty dive in the US day before yesterday on the back of disappointing results, but overnight has completely resurrected itself. The FANG ETF up 2.6% after Meta put out results up 14% after hours, pays its first dividend, and Amazon up 9%. By the way, Goodman Group, the biggest REIT, is up 4% today on the back of the Amazon results. They are Amazon's landlord. Amazon Report in Australia. Amazon Report, good results results which beat expectations but also cloud and e-commerce revenues doing better than expected and suddenly it's all back on. Truth matter is the big tech results have pretty much come to an end now. Major ones are out of the way. The disappointing ones are now in the price. So where to from here? And I think the most telling chart remains this chart of the 10-year bond yields. Have a look in my section. But after a sobering up rally in bond yields at the beginning of this year, they're heading down again quite sharply. And the clear message, and it is the strongest driver to the market at the moment, has been the strongest theme for the last year, if not more, if not forever, is interest rates going lower. That helps growth companies. That helps big tech companies and the drop in bond yields is rather why we didn't sell fang yesterday believing that any bad results from big tech were already in the price and that the major driver interest rates is working in their favor and in the market's favor and that all comes in the short term after a lower than expected cpi number in australia this week and also the fomc meeting yesterday or day before yesterday night before yesterday which has confirmed that even though hopes of a rate cut in March are premature. They will certainly be cut this year. Inflation's on its way into the target range and you've got some strategists debating how many rate cuts will be this year and next year and the debate is whether there will be three or four this year and whether there will be three or four next year but certainly seven on their way before the end of next year is the consensus. So rates are going to be coming down and in Australia we've got an RBA meeting on Tuesday. Prior to that CPI number last week, the expectation was that the first rate cut we would see would come in November this year. That's got pulled back to August. Some suggest September and some of the click-hungry strategists, people trying to attract attention, are suggesting rate cuts even earlier, as early as May. Very unlikely. I think for rate cuts to come rapidly, we would really have to see a cratering in inflation numbers and fears about a recession from central banks and that hasn't happened yet. So it looks like the first cut in rates, which will be a pivotal moment, will be May in the US and August, September in Australia. And we have a US CPI number coming up on 
on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, and our next CPI number is on February the 28th. Bottom line, interest rates going down. That underwrites the the new bull market for the moment. He says, fingers crossed behind his back. So happy to go with big tech, happy to stay fully invested in the strategy portfolio. And I think we can all relax at the moment. There is no precipitous moment on the horizon, as far as we can see, subject to change on a daily basis. The other positive, and I remember doing a podcast recently, I remember, wasn't that long ago, Marcus, I did a podcast with John Abernathy at Climb, who is a friend, colleague, value investor and economist been in the markets 40 years plus, same as myself. And I've been doing regular podcasts with him and will do regular podcasts with him for his view on the economy. John is the wee small voice of calm amidst all the other strategists that tend to be a bit shorter term. One of John's predictions was that this results season would be good for the banks and that the banks would surprise us on the upside. We've got the CBA results coming up on 13th February. Before that, we've got ANZ on Monday, 12th February. We've got a first quarter update. We've also got Westpac on the 19th of February, first quarter update. NAB with a trading update on the 21st of February. Bendigo and Adelaide with interim results on 19th of February. So we've got a bit of feedback coming from the banks and John's contention was that those results could well please on the upside. And then we've got this very logical article in, I think I may have said it's in the AFR. I think it's in the Herald Sun from Paulina Duran saying and making the point that the banks have taken $6 billion worth of provisions, each of them, against bad debts that are probably not needed and that they can add back to their earnings numbers progressively, improving their earnings, improving their return on equity, even though it's just an accounting sleight of hand. They have over-provisioned, is the point, for bad debts. And JP Morgan are suggesting that there is over $1.5 billion in provisions at each of the banks that will not be needed. And with interest rates now coming down, the economic outlook being far less savage than previously expected, they have over-provisioned and will be able to flatter their results by adding back provisions if they want to. They may not want to yet, but there is a cushion there for the banks. And that rather underwrites their results. So maybe the banks will be putting out good results. Only really the CBA has interims with a dividend, but the others will update as well and create a vibe. The vibe could be good. And maybe that's why the bank sector is now overbought on a weekly basis. That's using weekly candles. It's overbought. That's a rare occasion. And why they're trading and why they've broken out of their most recent trading range and are top of the trading range because the vibe is creeping into the market already that results are probably going to be good. So happy to be holding, even though they're overbought, even though they're hitting 52-week highs. Maybe this is why they are. And as an income investor, you'd be sitting pretty comfortably at the moment. If Even if there is a bit of profit taking, even if the banks do look expensive, you may have remembered I wrote last week, was it, about the CBA. We looked at all the broker recommendations, target prices. We also looked at PE relative to history and the yield relative to history. Lowest yield it's been on in years, highest PE it's been on in years 
years, if not ever. The way they, that may adjust is not by the price coming down, of course. It might be by the earnings going up. And that's what the share price is telling you at the moment. Anyway, looking forward to results from the banks. Reasonably comfortable, I think, if you are an income investor. And well spotted, that journalist with that article. Just bubbling away in the background, though, is this New York community Bancorp drop in share price yesterday fell 38%. I think it was down another 6% overnight. 23-year low as they run into property with commercial real estate. CRE. I didn't know there was an acronym for it. But the US CRE is in turmoil. And there is another Japanese bank that has warned about the their exposure to the commercial real estate market as well. And it's got overtones of the Silicon Valley bank collapse. But this time, I think it's a global thing with European banks. For instance, Frankfurt's Deutsche Bank, oh not Frankfurt's, Deutsche Bank have quadrupled their US real estate loss provisions. Another Swiss bank has done the same thing, reported a 50%, Julius Bayer this is, reported a 50% drop in its profits after writing off around a billion dollars worth of ex- exposures and the CEO departed. So a bit of a global problem going on in commercial real estate. Watch out for that developing and that rather colours the bank's optimism. We wouldn't want another break out of commercial real estate exposure write-downs. Right, as interest rates come down, the REIT sector is doing rather nicely. You might have noticed that. I'll put a chart in today. That's good for both our income and growth portfolios. Got a few REITs in them. Happy about that. I think there's a bit of research out from City Group as well, who make the obvious comment that REITs outperform as interest rates come down and interest rates are going to be coming down and you should be buying as interest rates top out. Uranium stocks flying along at the moment. One of the world's biggest uranium producers in Kazakhstan has warned about production challenges in 2024, which are, I think, unique to them. It's not so much about uranium, it's about their production problems. They produce around 20% of the world's uranium. Have I got that right? Anyway, back of that, you've got things like NextGen up 7% today. Paladin, which we hold in the growth portfolio, up 6.4%. We're up 35% on that in a couple of months. And Deep Yellow up 15%, ERA up 8%, Boss Energy up 6%, Bannerman up 5.7%. So uranium flying along. Share the Not the share price, the uh, price of uranium came back from $106 to $100 the other day. It's back up to $107, I think now. Pinnacle is a fund manager in Australia, code PMI, PNI, is it? It's up about 5% today. Funds under management growing. Just a note, whilst the market goes up, all the fund managers are stock market stocks. They earn percentages of asset values or the values of funds under management. If the market goes up 10%, their funds under management go up 10%. It is written in earnings growth. So some fund managers doing rather nicely. Pinnacle pointing out that their funds under management have gone over 100 billion. Haven't mentioned, shouldn't forget, Apple had results and dropped 3% after hours last night. Earnings were better than expected, up 16%, but disappointing sales in China. A lot of competition in China. What else can I tell you? Talk of a ceasefire in Israel. A bit of confusion there. Al Jazeera had a tweet about it and then pulled the tweet down about a ceasefire. Oil price went down on the back of it. Just to point out, our Woodside trade in the ideas portfolio is now up 11%, a bit more than that. So that's getting going quite good. Telstra also doing rather nicely for a very boring trade. It wasn't really a trade. What I was trying to do was point out that I thought Telstra, as it got to a yield of over 6%, had bottom in the long term and was buying up 
opportunity for income investors. Thankfully, the market's gone up as well. So that trade has proved all that timing of buying big income stock. Telstra is proving to work at the moment. I think it's up 5% or something. It's never going to excite you, but Telstra going in the right direction. Nice trend so far this year. Other little note is in the strategy portfolio, I'm going to try and find room for some sort of Indian exposure. NDIA Nifty 50 ETF is the obvious exposure. The Indian economy is booming along. We'll write it up next week, I think, but we'll probably be adding NDIA to our strategy portfolio. Probably just a small holding to make the point. And there you go. A couple more things. First is I've put in a, we've started a new diary. We're always, every week we have to lift ourselves. Takes about an hour or two to put together the weekly corporate diary and the weekly economic diary. And we do the US results diary. We've got the Australian results diary. We've decided to build a diary, which we're going to call the Marcus Today Stock Market Calendar. One diary for everything. I have published that in the newsletter today. And I make this offer to anybody, particularly smaller groups that don't have publishing arms, but do write reports like fund managers, financial planning groups, accountants even. Feel free to cut and paste our stock market calendar as long as you leave our logo in there. It's always bemused me that so many sources attempt to produce the same diary in so many different forms when we could all just do one and rely on one. We're obviously hoping to do some subliminal marketing by having you use a Marcus Today logo stock market calendar. But if you would like to do that, just cut and paste it from the newsletter. Feel free without asking permission to bung it in any of your marketing documents or monthly reports, weekly reports, whatever you want to do, even if you're a competitor. I would like to see just one diary with integrity. And this is my attempt or our attempt to produce this. So you'll see the stock market calendar at this point is focused on corporate results coming up, the interim results season for Australian companies. Some of them have full year results, obviously, but that's in the newsletter today. Feel free to cut and paste it. And we will, if you see any mistakes or you want things added, give me an email, the links on that page, and we'll start using this in the newsletter in the mornings, save us writing up economics and corporate and results all on different calendars. We've put it all on one calendar. Let's see how we go with that, shall we? Enjoy. I was sitting at my daughter's birthday dinner last night, and after a few drinks, my son turned to me and said, Dad, your job is to be the cash cow so that everybody else can have a good time. You're doing a good job. I don't know how I should take that. There was no offer of thanks, just a statement of fact that that was my job. The bank of mum and dad, eh? Seems to be working for everybody else. Right, the little bit of education at the end of our podcast. I'll just say about this, uh, I got have been asked by one lovely member whether I could timestamp and list the educational pieces in the podcasts so that people could go back. No, I'm not going to do that. It's too much work to go back. Find what I wrote about, timestamp it in the podcast. It's just take too long. What we are going to do is Cam and Jemima and Lorraine have been telling me we need to do more video content for marketing purposes. And what I will start to do, I just need to train myself how to do those videos where you've got a little picture of me in the bottom whilst it records the screen. 
haven't really got in the routine of that. But the hope is that rather than do this educational piece in the podcast, I will cover all the subjects I've already covered, but I will cover educational subjects regularly as soon as I can get in the groove of doing videos. And we can use those for marketing purposes as well. So I'm not going to go back and timestamp and list everything I've done. We're going to start, I think, a YouTube channel if that isn't overly ambitious. Marcus the Finfluencer, eh? But we are going to try and package these educational pieces up in short videos. For now, I'll just keep doing them on the podcast. But hopefully, I'll be able to do them very quickly. And you never know, might even be able to do one a day and compile them all on one page. But today, I'll give you an email I got. Education suggestion. Breakouts and false breakouts. Thank you, Anthony. And Anthony writes, My favorite and the one I've found works best for me is the volume contraction pattern especially when used in conjunction with a cup and handle pattern. Thanks very much, Marcus. Now, I deliberately say that knowing that 99% of you wouldn't have a clue what a breakout is, let alone a volume contraction pattern, let alone a cup and handle pattern. So I mention it just to make some of you aware that there are amongst us members and a whole body of people, I could name the Australian Technical Analysts Association, that look at a lot of things that you possibly don't look at which is technical patterns and they use software that scans for technical events and breakouts would be one. So let let me give you an example of a breakout. A breakout is a share price trades usually in a bit of a trading range and every technical analyst will tell you that there are resistance and support levels and sometimes like the bank sector until recently has recently broken out. The bank sector has been trading, if you look at the chart, just use the chart in my section today, will trade in a range and it tends to go up to the same sort of level, drop again down to the same sort of level, up again to the same level, back down. It sort of trades sideways in a range. And a breakout is when a share price suddenly pops out of the top or bottom of its trading range. And the technical custom is to chase the break. So if a stock has always traded between a dollar and a dollar ten, or not always traded, but maybe over a few months or even a few hours, depending on how closely you're looking, is always trading between two two prices, a resistance and a support level. And it's going bing, 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 bing at the top and bottom. And then suddenly it breaks out the top. The idea is then you buy it because in the world of Japanese candles, which represent a battle between buyers and sellers, a breakout is when the buyers have finally, on the upside, is when the buyers have finally overwhelmed the last sellers and bang, the price goes off. Same on the bottom, the sellers have finally overwhelmed the last buyer, worn them out and bang, the share price drops. And that's a breakout. And the idea is, is that you watch, you can watch a share price for a long period of time. Even a market, our market, for instance, has been hitting resistance at this 7,630 level five times over the last couple of years and not broken out. It has just broken out to a new high. It could easily come back into the trading range in the very short term. But in the world of probabilities, which is the best you have when being a technical analyst, in the world of probabilities, the fact that it's broken, finally broken this level, it's not really convincing yet. But once it convincingly breaks up above this level, you chase it. So you would be buying it when it breaks a new all-time high or a new 52-week high or a new trading range high and selling it when it breaks the lows. So that's what a breakout is. And Anthony's volume contraction pattern and cup and handle, I will leave you to Google those. But they will give you an idea of just how involved 
involved some traders can get when looking or drawing conclusions from the five bits of data every day that every price produces. I would just tell you this goes back to the Collins class submarine story or maybe I should leave this till tomorrow. I'll leave that not tomorrow, Saturday. I'll leave that till next week, shall we? Our Collins class weapons officer who is a member. I'll do that next week. That's about it. As I leave you, ASX 200 up 85. Seems it isn't a normal day unless we move 80 points these days. But solid stuff, 7673 on the ASX 200. Resources doing okay. Most sectors up 1%. Financials up 1%. Banks are up. Goodman Group up 4%. Amazon's or Australia's only Amazon exposure. Tech stocks doing nicely. Gold sector even participating today up 2.5%. Best performing sector today. And REITs up 2.1% for a boring sector. That's pretty good. Lithium stocks on the nose yet again. Nickel Industries seeing some profit taking. Pinnacle Investments now up 9.3%, leading the way, telling you to buy stock market stocks. The market's performing by fund managers and uranium stocks flying along, as I've already mentioned. Right, that's about that. You have a fabulous day. We'll be back with the weekend newsletter tomorrow. I pick up a new car today. Finally bought a new car. 12 years. I, I pride myself on keeping my car for 12 years. Finally time to roll it over. My dad worked for Mercedes-Benz. He was a director, personal services director of Mercedes-Benz for 25 years. He had this theory, or how he sold a car to me, was that you could buy a Mercedes-Benz and keep it for 10 years. During that 10 years, you'll have the pleasure of driving a Mercedes-Benz and one of the safest cars in the world. And if it saves your life, it's a good car. Or you could buy three cheaper cars, turn them over every three years, as most people who own a company car do, turn each one over three years, take three years worth of the heaviest depreciation the first three years of any car. Do that three times. And not only will you lose more money than you will buying that Mercedes for 10 years, you also don't get to drive a Mercedes. And there's a good chance if you end up in an accident, you're worse off. So that was our argument for buying Mercedes. So I held this one for 12 years. Time for another. Right, that's about enough about cars and the stock market. You have a fabulous weekend. (laughs) 